Democrats are accusing Attorney General William Barr of interrupting their riots and illegal spying with the rule of law. This was only one of the furious accusations Democrats hurled at Barr after they invited him to a hearing to hear them interrupt him without a hearing. Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Gerald Nadler, who delayed the hearing to give him yet another chance to catch those wily three billy goats gruff, accused the attorney general of being Donald Trump's puppet. Nadler said, quote, if the president tells you to enforce the rule of law, you rush right out like an automaton and enforce the rule of law. If the president tells you to treat everyone equally, you obey like a zombie and treat everyone equally. How can America trust a man who does not think for himself? Unquote. When Barr tried to respond to these accusations, Nadler cut him off, afraid that Barr might guess that his name was really Rumpelstiltskin, forcing him to jump up and down until he fell through the floor. Congresswoman Zoe Loughran accused Barr of tear-gassing protesters who were merely searching for peace and justice in the rubble of the cities they were burning to the ground. Loughran said, quote, This is martial law because marshals are enforcing the law in the same way these are peaceful protests because you have protesters breaking things into pieces. If we can't agree that the English language means whatever Democrats say it means, then this hearing is just going to devolve into unfounded accusations against you, followed by me cutting you off before you have a chance to respond until my dishonesty is completely disguised by my hysterical hyperbole. This is the kind of lawless behavior I expect under a Trump administration, and we're seeing it right now. Or if we're not, it's because I'm just getting started, unquote. Barr tried to respond, but the committee ruled it would be unfair for him to tell the truth before reading the Democrats their rights. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we're back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. And if you want to help out and join us, please go on the Andrew Claven YouTube page and subscribe and leave a comment and do anything else. You would dance around the room also. But if you leave a comment and we like it, we will read it on this show because we're just starved for material. Here's one today from Greg Ashcroft. It says, Dearest Lord Clavin, most be- <laughs> mostly peaceful, austere, satirical scholar, master of A's, expeller of E's, I have found a logical conundrum on your show. Your main policy for this period of time is save the Clavin. You are, however, a conservative. I have it on good authority that your policy must be steeped in racism and bigotry. I also have it on good authority you cannot be racist against white people. Since your policy only concerns you and it must be racist, this must make you a person of color. It has also been revealed you will not be voting for Joe Biden, which means you ain't black. This seems to violate the laws of the universe. Please advise. I write the laws of the universe so I can do anything I want. That's that is the answer. But you are correct that I did include that little logical conundrum just to make sure you were paying attention. One of the ways society becomes weak is when people forget the reasons for the important things that they're doing. I witnessed this in my university days during the 1970s as radicals attacked Western culture and conservatives were unprepared to defend it with anything but cliches they no longer understood. This is why frequently when I give speeches at colleges, I go back to the foundations of Western culture to remind people that we stand on a Jenga tower of philosophical achievements, and you don't just pull out the bottom bricks because some undereducated millennial says his feelings are hurt. 
One phrase that may have become empty of purpose is the phrase, the rule of law. Democrats are now wholly committed to destroying the rule of law. They tell us it's racist to enforce law at the border. They tell us it's oppressive to suppress illegal riots. They attack the police for arresting criminals and enforcing the rule of law. And yesterday, they excoriated our attorney general for, among other things, investigating the Obama administration's illegal spying and for keeping the peace. Conservatives may think we don't need to defend the concept of the rule of law, or we may have forgotten how, but we should remember without the rule of law, we cannot be treated equally. If we don't arrest people because they're black or because we like their cause, we're essentially saying that the powerful get to decide who among the less powerful can act and speak and who can't, rather than having a law passed by representatives responsible to the voters. You can see the difference, right? If the people elect legislators and they pass Law X, but Law X doesn't apply when elites don't want it to, the people have no power to pass their own laws. When Barack Obama directed the DOJ not to enforce the Defense of Marriage Act, he was essentially saying the elected legislature is overruled by all-powerful King Barack. It takes more time to change a law you don't like, but that's how freedom works. Laws are blunt instruments. Laws can be wrong. Laws sometimes need a touch of human mercy to be corrected. But if the rule of law is not the first principle, you live and move at the whim of the elites, and America is over. All right, let us talk about rad power bikes. These are incredibly cool machines. It's a cross between a traditional bike and a moped, and it doesn't require a special driver's license like a moped would. You can go up to 20 miles an hour without pedaling, so you can get about without getting sweaty. They're great for commuting, getting out on the trail, hauling groceries, or even transporting your kids on the back. Unlike other e-bikes, they're actually affordable. Plus, to show appreciation for those that serve us, Rad Power Bikes is offering 100 bucks off all e-bike purchases for active or ex-military first responders, teachers, and students. Dedicated U.S.-based customer support seven days a week to answer any questions or concerns. Make the perfect gift for someone who loves being active and outdoors. Rad Power Bikes offer flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. And right now, as a limited time offer, get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. Get a free gift of up to $100 in value and free shipping to the lower 48 states. To get this special offer, text the word POWER to 64000. That's POWER, P-O-W-E-R, to 64000. Text POWER to 64000. It's the last mailbag today before vacation, so you want to make sure to stay tuned and get rid of your problems, which will be otherwise be with you all next week. Or you can sound like that. So my friend uh, Michael Walsh is a good writer. He wrote a book called The Devil's Pleasure Palace, and I think he has a book coming out in December about called Last Stands or something like this. Um, but he used to say the Democrats aren't a political party. They're a criminal organization. And I used to remonstrate with Walsh and say, come on, that's going a little bit over the top. He's right. Uh, at this point, he is right. This is a criminal art organization. They're not just the party of the mob. They're a party that behaves like mobsters. Yesterday's hearing of Attorney General Bill Barr was, I mean, I hate to use a cliche term, but it was a disgrace. It was absolutely disgraceful. Uh, they wouldn't let him talk. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It reminded me of that this one of my favorite Philip Marlowe lines. Uh, they beat your teeth out. As he said, the mobsters beat your teeth out, then they kick you in the stomach for mumbling. So first they worked them over, but then they wouldn't let him respond. Donald Trump had a, a funny line yesterday. They were talking about uh, Dr. Fauci's popularity. And he said, we do everything Fauci tells us to do. So why is he popular and I'm not? Here's the cut. Which sort of is curious. A man works for us, with us, very closely, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx, also highly thought of. 
and yet they're highly thought of, but nobody likes me. It can only be my personality. That's all. <laughs> well, that's pretty funny, but it's also true. It is his personality. Uh, he's a, a aggressive. He gets on people's nerves. He especially disturbs nice ladies in the suburbs. I happen to love nice ladies in the suburbs. I'm not running them down. I'm not uh, being uh, patronizing about them. I think they are wonderful people and part of the backbone of this country. But you really do have to ask yourself at this point, are you willing to let Trump's personality, and I understand if it gets on your nerves, I mean, it amuses me, but I understand if it gets on your nerves, are you willing to let Trump's personality cause you to elect these thugs? I mean, these guys, they support riots. They tell you you're not seeing the riots. They then blame the riots on the police who've come to stop the riots. They have been attacking Bill Barr for one reason and one reason only. He is the most honest man in Washington, D.C. They are attacking him because he is in the process of exposing the fact that they are a corrupt criminal organization and were when uh, Barack Obama, as they say in politics, he perfumed the ticket. Sometimes they put a guy who's not uh, doing something illegal. He's not taking bribes. And they put him at the top of the ticket to protect all the people underneath it who are, in fact, corrupt. And Obama was in on this spying on the Trump campaign. It was a disastrous takeover of the uh, DOJ, the Department of Justice, for political purposes. Bill Barr was brought in to set that straight. He is setting it straight. And they think when he sets it straight, that's corrupt. Are you really going to let Trump's personality, get in the, allow those people to take power. Let me just show you some of the stuff they did. And, you know, I almost don't want to show you the, the, the facts and the accusations because that wasn't really the problem. If they had made accusations, Bill Barr is a big man. He is perfectly uh, capable of defending himself. In fact, he defends himself very clearly and very well when they ask him. He knows what laws to cite. He remembers where he was. He remembers who said what. And he tells people the truth. And he really does. He says, you know, Trump has let me do what, what I want. He has told me to be independent. I've been independent. I came back. He said, I didn't have to come back. I came back to set the Department of Justice straight because I love the Department of Justice. And basically, Barack Obama had corrupted it. And that's why he came in. They attacked him for uh, trying to suppress the riots. Uh, they attacked him for investigating Barack Obama uh, or the DOJ and the FBI, you know, Russian hoax. They attacked him uh, for basically being Trump's puppet. And at one point he said, give me one example, one example where I've done this. They have nothing on him. They insulted him. They said he, they said he should be ashamed of himself. And then they did this because this is the part I want to play. They have this thing that is called uh, reclaiming my time, which essentially means I'm not going to let you answer the question. This is some little glitch in Robert's Rules of Order where you can invite a guy to a, a hearing and then reclaim your time before he gets a chance to answer. This is, listen to this, how many times they did this. This is cut four. Reclaiming my time. In April, times is when does something actually become custom. Reclaiming my time. I'm psyched. This is not a trick question. In this country. And I'm reclaiming my time, Mr. General. Without any remedy at all. I'm reclaiming my time. Let me share with you. Well, you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. You reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time. He found reclaiming no my time without political bias. He said he and found in no April, evidence. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Attorney. In That's reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Barr. Occurring substances. Sir, Attorney General, reclaiming my time. <laughs> there are rules by which we operate here. I would ask you to respect them. When Jim Jordan actually uh, protested that the witness should be allowed to speak since it's a hearing and he's the person who's supposed to be heard, uh, he was shut down. This is cut two. Mr. Chairman, Gentlemen, you Mr. Chairman, just, just real, real quick. 
I don't think we've I don't think we've ever had a hearing where the witness wasn't allowed to respond to points made, questions asked, and attacks attacks made. Every not not just in this hearing, not just in this committee, but every committee I've been on. So particularly particularly when you think about the fact we got the Attorney General of the United States here. Gentleman does not have the time. I don't want the time. I just want I want the Attorney General to be able to have enough time to respond to accusations and questions asked him, and you guys not cut him off. What you want is irrelevant. Wow, that you want the witness to be allowed to answer the accusations is irrelevant. Nadler would not even let the Attorney General of the United States get up to go to the bathroom for five minutes. This is cut 23. Could we take a five-minute break, Mr. Chairman? No. That's a common courtesy, Mr. Chairman, of every witness. I I waited 45, uh, an hour for you this morning. I haven't had lunch. I'd like to take a five-minute break. Mr. Attorney General, we are almost finished. We're, we're, we're going to be finished in a, in a few minutes. If, if, otherwise, uh, you can, we can certainly take a break. But, um, You're real class. Well, okay. Yeah. Yes, after this. You're a real class. Bar can't even keep a straight face because it's such criminal activity. It is unbelievable. I mean, this is a disgrace. And, and you know, again, you say this, but at this point, why should we be surprised when the supporters of the mob act like mobsters? Why should we be surprised when the people who think it's okay to hold the city of Portland hostage for two months with mostly peaceful protests that are burning the city to the ground, harming police officers uh, that are just an absolute uh, you know, travesty of justice? Because, by the way, it's not a, it's not a peaceful protest if Ordinary citizens can't walk there. If you walk there wearing a MAGA hat, will it still be a peaceful protest or will you be beat to death? It's not a peaceful protest if it is a threat to ordinary taxpaying citizens who own the property you're standing on. You can't block traffic. You can't uh, block pedestrians. It is not. These are not peaceful protests inherently. All right. So now you saw what they did to him. You saw this, this absolute madness. Now, Madeline Dean from I think she's from Pennsylvania or Florida. I can't remember. She goes on MSNBC, and here's what she says about Attorney General Barr. We actually have to hold him accountable to the American people. You saw his affect yesterday. He was disrespectful, spoke over top of every one of us. In particular, he spoke over women. Uh, He was flanked by at least 10 staffers, not a person of color among them. And he couldn't identify that we have systemic racism in this country. Maybe that's because he's living in a bubble. I I just have to tell you, it was so disrespectful, Uh, the way he approached Congress, the way he approached our committee, his willingness to say one thing and in a single statement, flip his own answer. If if I had been doing that interview, I just would have continually interrupted her by saying, reclaiming my time, Congresswoman Dean, reclaiming, reclaiming my, you know, it's disrespectful that he was talking over us while we were interrupting him. That's basically, don't interrupt us. It's like, don't interrupt our riots with the rule of law. Don't interrupt our spying on uh, opposing candidates with the rule of law. And don't interrupt our interruptions with your interruptions. You know, don't interrupt your interruptions with your answers. That's basically what they're saying. You know, we're asking the questions. Don't interrupt our interruptions with your answers. Here's Nancy Pelosi talking about the attorney general. It demonstrated to the American people the contempt uh, that he has for our democracy. I just thought he was despicable and just uh, so beneath the dignity of an attorney general. He is the attorney general of the United States of America. Too bad he doesn't care or realize that. He should be answering for what he did at Lafayette Square. 
a disgrace. Mm. So this is, it's really, he was like a blob. He was like a, uh, just a, a, a henchman for the president of the United States. A blob, a henchman, but, you know, Trump is just rude. I mean, Trump is mean. Trump is nasty. What, Trump is really beneath the level of, of dignity of the president of the United States. That's the, the Speaker of the House. Uh, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. This is what they didn't want to hear. What they didn't want to hear was Barr uh, talking about the violence in the streets. Uh, let, let's see. This is the cut. Yeah, go ahead. Play the cut. We have the obligation to protect to protect federal courts, and the U.S. Marshals specifically have been given that obligation. Federal courts are under attack. Since when is it okay to try to burn down a federal court? If someone went down the street to the Prettyman Court here, that beautiful courthouse we have right at the bottom of the hill, and started breaking windows and firing industrial-grade fireworks in to start a fire, throw kerosene balloons in and, and start fires in the court, is that okay? Is that okay now? And all these complaints about Lafayette Park with a complaint that the rioters were cleared out of Lafayette Park uh, in, when Trump went to visit the church. And one of the people said, well, the ch even the church leaders uh, complained about the fact that the rioters were cleared out. And Barr said that they complain after the fire in the church was put out or before, because this church, one of the landmarks of Washington, D.C., was set on fire by these clowns. You know, it's interesting, the a Associated Press uh, which is where they ran that story about how the peaceful demonstrations were intensifying. <laughs> you know, the Oakland courthouse was burned down when peaceful uh, demonstrations were intensifying. Uh, they intensive. They got the peace just got so intense that uh, that courthouse caught fire. It was amazing. Like it was just so peaceful. It was so intensely peaceful. Boom! The court just burst into flame. Well, to the Associated Press's. Uh, Credit, although maybe it was to the individual reporters, Mike Balsamo went in and spent the weekend, one of their reporters, inside the Portland Federal Courthouse with the U.S. Marshals. Here's his tweets. Mortars were being fired off repeatedly. Fireworks and flares shot into the lobby. Frozen bottles. Concrete cans and bouncy balls regularly whizzed over the fence at high speeds. I watched as injured officers were hauled inside. In one case, the commercial firework came over so fast, the officer didn't have time to respond. It burned through his sleeves and he had bloody gashes on both forearms. Another had a concussion from being hit in the head with a mortar. No wonder they don't like the head of the Department of Justice. No wonder Democrats don't like the guy who's in, the chief law officer in the country. They don't like the rule of law. They are thugs, they're mobsters, and they are the party of the mob. And you know, I know this is hyperbole, except it's not. It actually describes the facts of the matter. All right, let's pause for just a second. If you need anything from the post office, what you want to do is get in your car Drive, you know, in L.A., it's about 40 minutes to the post office if it's five minutes away. You want to stand online. You want to wait there. You want to have the mask on and make sure the other guy in back of you is sneezing down your neck. Or, or you could use Stamps.com. Stamps.com is, uh, is the app that brings this, the post office into your computer where it belongs. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and avoid going to the post office, and you'll save money with discounted rates you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no residential surcharges. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Right now, 
My listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week-plus free postage, four-week trial, I'm sorry, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in, you guessed it, Clavin. That's Stamps.com. Enter Clavin. And I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yes, yes, that sounds great. What a great service. But how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Come on. No, <laughs> Come on, man. There are no there easy. Are so easy. <laughs> there just aren't. What can I tell you? As always, of course, if the Democrats are going to devolve into thuggery and support uh, supporting the mob, the press is going to go right there with them. The press is going to uh, you know, make sure that the Democrats are hidden in plain sight. The big point of everything, the big point of all this, really, really the, the whole pur- purpose of it is to defame Bill Barr before the Durham report comes out, revealing that the Democrats are criminals and were criminals even when Obama was perfuming the ticket, that they used the department, they corrupted the Department of Justice in order to spy on the Trump campaign and make sure their candidate got elected. And why should we not believe that when they'd already used the IRS to silence the opposition? Debbie Mercasel Powell of Florida uh, tried to get, actually tried to get Barr. I mean, talk about intimidating a law officer, actually tried to get Barr to promise not to release the Durham report before the election. Do you commit to not releasing any report by Mr. Durham before the November election? No. You don't commit to that. No. So you I won't go by careful. Department of Justice policy I that, Justice that you won't policy. interfere in any the, political investigations before the November election. We're, we're not going to interfere. In fact, Mr. I've made Chairman. it clear I'm not going to tolerate But under oath, you're saying that you do not commit to not releasing a report by Durham. I, I, I'm not going to. Uh, any report will, will be, in my judgment, not one that is covered by the, the policy and it would disrupt the election. The time of the I've already made it clear that neither you, you candidate is You would go against your under- own Department of Justice policy, Mr. Barton. See, the Democrats not only want to cover up their malfeasance, you know, this is a classic. The Democrats want to riot, but they don't want to be called rioters. They want to lie, but they don't want to be called liars. They want to uh, basically suppress, they want to investigate, spy on a, an opposition campaign using federal agents, but they don't want to be called corrupt and the, have people say that they're violating the Constitution. It's okay for them to do it. It's wrong for you to say it. You know, this recently that came out that the source of the Steele dossier, and this, you remember, this is the dossier that they used to accuse uh, Trump of going to prostitutes in Russia and all that stuff that was in the newspaper day after day after day after day. It turns out that the source for this was a, dr- a hard drinking uh, drinking buddy of Steele named Igor Donchenko, who was nobody. He was a nudnik. He had absolutely no inside information. He himself was horrified when his Drunken gossip got into the Steele dossier. All right. So this was revealed uh, in uh, things that were brought out of, you know, being classified. There were declassified uh, documents. It was revealed. Here's how the New York Times, a former newspaper, reported this. The FBI pledged to keep a source anonymous. Trump allies aided his unmasking. So the problem is that the source was revealed. Okay, these are guys who all through this Russia thing were printing anonymous sourced Uh, material that turned out to be false and for which they won a Pulitzer Prize. Eight paragraphs, this goes on, eight paragraphs, this goes on accusing Trump's allies of of revealing the poor name of this drinking nudnik so that his family is now in danger. Ha, ha, ha. Paragraph nine begins, 
Mr. Denchenko's identity is noteworthy because it further calls into question the credibility of the dossier. It's paragraph nine, it, telling you why it's noteworthy, which normally in journalistic practice is the lead of the story. That's what the headline and the lead are. It's why this is new, uh, noteworthy. This is a corrupt organization. This is a criminal organization. When I say that, I mean the Democrats and their press. They want to lie, but they don't want to be called lawyers. So so Jim Jordan, here's a perfect example. During the hearing, he used his time to play a video, a compendium, a montage of reporting on the riots. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not, uh, it is not generally speaking, unruly. Peaceful protest. Peaceful protesters. Peaceful protest. 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 Peaceful protesters. We'd like to thank friends, neighbors, coworkers, and the community for showing all the love and support we've suffered through the tragic loss of my husband, my beloved husband, David Dorn. We'd also like to thank St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department for their hard work and perseverance through this investigation. That's who you remember David Dorn was that retired uh, St. Louis police captain who was shot by looters when he went out to help at a store. And that's his widow talking. And while she's talking, uh, the Jordan video begins to play the scenes of riots. And even when these guys are talking on the air and saying it's mostly peaceful, there's burning in back of them. Jake Tapper his, was very, very mad. He is uh, the honor of CNN, the most dishonest station in news. The, mo- the honor of CNN was insulted, but Jake Tapper, like a knight, almost like a knight in shining armor, really, uh, really, uh, really like a, like some kind of chivalrous savior came forward to defend his reporters by putting their comments into context. Here is Tapper demanding an apology from Jim Jordan. This is something that we have been seeing here on the streets of Atlanta, mostly peaceful protests uh, since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And when it was one of their own, that anger, that frustration, that pain simply exploded. And we saw the result of that overnight and into this morning uh, in those protests. So do you understand what what Congressman Jordan and his team did there? Our reporters, Diane Gallagher and Josh Campbell, as you saw, accurately described the protests as peaceful and then often exploding into something else. Uh, No. No, I'm sorry. That's not what I saw. What I well, two things. One, I saw the the lady reporter. I saw her basically excusing the violence as an upsurge of anger against the uh, the, the injustices being perpetrated on America. So already, not journalism. That's begging the question, isn't it? That is basically assuming that these protesters are in the right. They are protesting for a good cause. They're protesting for justice, and they just can't contain their rage and their anger. But again, these are not. These are not peaceful protests if you can't walk there. They're not peaceful protests if they don't have a permit and they block traffic. They're not peaceful protests if you're afraid. They're not peaceful protests if they take over a large section of the city for months on end so that the citizens who pay taxes in that city can't use those cities. They are not mostly peaceful if every single night they break out into riots. You know, remember I told you yesterday I was talking about Robespierre and the terror and Robespierre who was the engineer of the terror after the French Revolution, all the guillotine, the, you know, tale of two cities stuff. He said, oh, yeah, it's terror 
And terror is what tyrants use, but we're using it for virtue. So the same way a sword can be held in the hand of a good guy or a bad guy, our terrorism is for virtue, not for despotism. Our terrorism is good terrorism, not bad terrorism. So remember Chris Cuomo, Fredo, came out and he said, uh, you know, the, who, who, where is it said that you can't have, uh, you, that you're, demonstrations have to be peaceful. And everybody said, well, it was said that says that actually in the Constitution. It says you have the right to peacefully assemble. Here he is explaining a little bit more of what he meant. He's backtracking because that uh, became viral and he looked like a fool. And now he wants to explain that he's not a fool making a fool of himself. What's the difference between good trouble and what? Bad trouble. All right, I'll tell you what the difference is. It's a test of where the trouble leads. Yeah, that's right. Ends and means. What's gained by the trouble? Freedom rides, marches, arrests, blood. They led to desegregation. The ongoing Black Lives Matter protests. In one of his later interviews, Lewis called them good trouble. Not the riots, not touching to hurt, not touching to destroy. That is criminal. That's not what Lewis did. And that's not what he was espousing and cheapening what we're seeing now by those aberrant acts is really bad trouble at work. You are ignoring the reality and you are picking on the aberrations for bad reason. So there's Robespierre's reasoning, right? First of all, it's, the history is completely wrong. The violence during the peaceful Martin Luther King protests, which were in fact peaceful marches, the violence was caused by people attacking them, you know, setting dogs on them. They suffered that violence to awaken the conscience of a good nation. They knew we were a good nation who would respond to that. These people are causing the violence. And it is Robespierrean logic to say, oh, but they're doing it in a good cause. It is Robespierrean terrorist logic to say they're doing it in a good cause. So, Jake Tapper, when you demand an apology from a guy who showed essentially what you're doing, even though it's edited, I admit it's edited, but he showed essentially what CNN does every single night. And it's you, Jake, it's you who should be apologizing. You should apologize for having taken a job at that dishonest shop, which is part of the problem in the country at the moment. All right, let us talk. You know, you've got to get yourself a reader's pass. You're too damn cheap to get the full subscription to the Daily Wire. Oh, I know your children are crying. Give us food. Give us food. And you can't, you know, you're just too weak to stand up to them. Say, go hungry so I can subscribe to the Daily Wire. All right. We'll give, <laughs> we'll give you the reader's pass. The, the, the reader's pass is a, a bargain at three bucks a month. We'll give it to you for one month for 99 cents, and then we'll hit you with the $3 when you're when you're not prepared for it. But you get all kinds of things. You get a mobile app, which is great. You get ad-free access to all of the Daily Wire news. You get exclusive op-eds and all of our podcasts on our mobile app, all for the low price of one buck for the first month and then three bucks, bucks after that. It really is a good deal. And we need your support. We really do. It helps us to stand up to people when they try to boycott us. It helps us to keep uh, our relationship with you direct. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today and 
And while you're spending your hard-earned money, snatch the nickel out of your kid's hand and go buy Ben's book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It's not a cookbook. It's a book that covers what Ben calls the disintegrationist philosophy of the United States. That is, to make real social progress, the entire American system must be dissolved and replaced with a more equal, more socialist system. You can see this narrative playing out in all of today's events, but you can read about it and have it explained in How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. You can get it at Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. If you like the book, please hop in and leave a five-star review, which keeps it higher on the charts so more people will see it. It's very, very important. The mailbag is coming up. Say, kiss your troubles. Goodbye. Mailbag. No! <laughs> what the hell was that? All right. <laughs> I have no control over my own show. I have no idea what's going on. Here's from James. Uh, Dear Lord Clavin, my question, this is a, I like this question. My question is around faith and how it pertains to the information that has been revealed from the government about the existence of alien craft. This is the stuff the New York Times is now covering because they can't, they don't want to cover, <laughs> they don't want to cover the news at, on Earth, so they're covering the aliens. But they found this alien craft material, so they say, if aliens are real, he says, says James, and are more intelligent than we are, are they also made in the image of God? If these things come from the planet Zort, do they have similar revelations as ours? And would we expect to see Zortian brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven? Sorry for the kind of silly question. It's not actually a silly question because a lot of times you'll hear, and I saw this once in the New York Times of all places, uh, you'll hear them say that if they discover life on earth, that actually uh, contradicts the revelation of Christ. And I think that that is absolutely wrong. Christ comes to men and women. He comes to people in the form of people showing us that God can be revealed in human flesh. And that's a really important thing. It means that your experience of life matters. Your emotional experience of the truth of life matters. Your uh, revelation, your insights into the truth of life matter. They are unique. They are what make you you. They are to be protected. They're to be defended. And they're to be cultivated. You're not just supposed to go around going like, I feel like a woman. I must be a woman. No, you're supposed to go along and say, what is it about me that is reacting to this world in this way? How do I get to the joy of Christ from where I am? Why am I so unhappy when I should be happy? Why am I, uh, you know, miserable about something that isn't miserable? Why? How do I align my inner life with the truth of God's creation? So if there are Zordians, and we don't know. See, this is one, one of the assumptions of random evolution, which I actually don't believe in, but one of the assumptions of random evolution is that each planet will have life forms, completely conscious life forms, completely different from ours. That may be true. Let's, let's, say, let's say it's not true. If it's not true, it doesn't matter. But if it is true, uh, then yes, God will reveal himself to them in Zordian form. And that will be fine because every form of consciousness is a form, will be made in the image of God and will be uh, capable of seeing God. Their, their Christ uh, may be a Zordian. And that, that is absolutely fine and doesn't do anything to our revelation because we will continue to be human beings who need to be saved by uh, the human incarnation of the word. Uh, from Newland, Father Clavenham, I've married a woman that I was not in love with, though I loved her and love her still. I was and am in love with another woman. My wife knew this and knows it now. I got married to her because it was the smartest thing for me, a case of head versus the heart. My life has been greatly improved by wealth and security, but I'm not happy. My wife is equally unhappy, uh, but we try to stay together. Uh, I, I'm consistently thinking about the other woman and reaching out to her over these 13 years uh, I have not cheated, uh, 
uh, and I can't leave because I have a child who's seven years old. Uh, children deserve both parents. My question is, how do I live? Do I continue for another 11 years torn? We, uh, we have sought and are still seeking marriage counseling. I will not abandon them. I grew up without a father. Should I stop seeing, communicating with this other woman? I have multiple times over the years communicated with her to try to put out flame out. The flame just won't stop. And I just want to stop the pain. Uh, man, you wrote to the wrong guy. I'm, I'm going to tell you because my answer is going to be 100% correct and you're not going to like it. Go take a look in the mirror and tell yourself you're a schmuck because you're acting like a schmuck and you're not acting. The thing that you're not acting like is a man. You are not acting like a man. You know, you made a choice. Now, it sounds to me like you're married for money, but maybe that's not it. Maybe that's unfair. You made a choice of who to marry. Now you are in a marriage. You're not in a relationship. You're not dating somebody and thinking, oh, I'm dating the wrong person. You're in a marriage with a child. All your responsibility, all your responsibility is to the life you created, that child, and the life you created for your wife by marrying her. You also created a life for her. So now you've created these lives. They are on you. You've got to sack up and take care of them, and you've got to direct your heart and all your romantic feelings toward those people and switch off those feelings toward the other. You're letting sentimentality, a sentimental connection. You're just afraid. You're a coward. You're a coward. You're afraid to connect to the people you're connected with and you're connecting with this other woman who gets nothing out of it. And what does it make, how does it make your wife feel to think, oh, if I can just endure her another 11 years, I'll be free to go off to this woman I love. How does it make your son feel? Is it a son, is your child uh, feel? To, to know that you're connected to his mother by, you know, begrudgingly, you know? I mean, you know, you know a lot of times I tell people they should go to marriage counseling. I'm not against it. I, I like marriage counseling. I think that's a good thing to do. But you need to go in the mirror and look in the mirror and sack up. The only reason you don't know the damage you're doing to your son and to your wife and to yourself and to this other woman who's also being held on the string for nothing because she's going to get nothing out of it. You know, you're afraid to connect. You're afraid to actually have the relationships you're in and you're having a relationship you're not in, okay? You're withdrawing from the actual bonding that you have to do. And the only reason you don't see the damage you're doing it doing is because you're doing it over time. You're damaging your son, your, your child's life over time. If you could see in a minute what you're doing to your child, you would say, oh my God, what, you know, if you could see what you were doing to your wife, you would say, oh my God, look at me, I suck. So go in the mirror and say that, look at me, I suck, and then turn your heart, all your heart, to the people that you're actually in the relationship to and give them all your heart. It's on you. It is on you. You made this decision. It may have been the wrong decision, but you say you love your wife, then love her. This thing about I'm in love with somebody else, screw that. I mean, really, really. You know, what are you, a child? You know, you're a married man with a child. Be a father. Be a husband. Dedicate all your heart to that, not some of your heart, not something in the back of your mind. And if you suffer some pain, we all have pain. We all see people in the in the world and think, oh, wow, that would have been a different relationship. We all sometimes, sometimes people fall in love, you fall in love with other people. It doesn't matter. You do the right thing. Do the right thing. Sack up, pal, because you really, you really wrote to the wrong guy because that is sentimental garbage. And uh, you're really hurting people a lot. All right. Um, and remember, Answers are guaranteed 100% correct. So if you're telling yourself I'm wrong, you're obviously incorrect. Uh, from Holden, hello, all-powerful and divine one, Clavin. You've been talking about, I don't go, did not divine, uh, now we're getting a little far. You've been talking about suffering in the context of the verse that says the world will hate you if you are a Christian in the context of reality. However, you have mentioned in your memoir about joy in life from following God and joy in the midst of pain. Jesus says that. I, I've come so that you will know the joy that I have. That's what he says. Uh, and I think it's Paul who says rejoice evermore. 
Could you clarify your position on joy and suffering and explain how you can have joy in the midst of pain? Uh, thank you, and I'm a big fan. Yeah, Holden, um, here's here, here's the thing. Joy doesn't mean happiness. I mean, I, oh, this is something I always dislike in Christian literature and Christian rock songs and Christian movies. Uh, this kind of smile, you know, a big yellow smiley face Christianity. Oh, I'm so happy because God loves me. Um, I, I don't, that's not what joy means. Joy is what Jesus called life in abundance. It is life fully lived. It is life focused on. It is life in the moment. Uh, even if you're daydreaming, even if you're remembering, you're remembering intensely, you're alive intensely. You are with the people you're with intensely. You're with your wife intensely, your children intensely. You are fully vibrant and alive. I compare it in my memoir, The Great Good Thing, I compare it to watching a movie, right? It doesn't mean you're not suffering. We all suffer. It doesn't mean you you don't have tragic grief. It always bothers me when somebody dies and a Christian says, well, he's gone to heaven. Yeah, but he's not here. You've lost somebody. Death is, is grief and it's a terrible, terrible, tragic pain, and you hope and have faith in the life to come, but you don't know what that life is. All you know is you've lost something irreparable now permanently, and that is something that you have to suffer through and you have to grieve. And so it's not about that. It's not about turning up that off. It's, it's like being in a movie. You watch a movie. Uh, say you watch, uh, what's that show? Uh, that soap, uh, Downton Abbey. People die, people marry and all this. And sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're sad, but you're always thinking, yeah, this is a great show. I'm really enjoying this show. You should feel that way about your life. Even when you're in pain, you should feel this is life. This is my life. I am here. God is doing something in my life. What does God want me to do with my pain? What does he want me to do with my suffering? What does he want me to do with my love? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my love? You're not supposed to be tormenting yourself. You're just supposed to be asking and then moving in that direction. God doesn't expect you to be at the top of the stairs. He expects you to be on the stairs, walking up the stairs. That's all. That's all he wants. Just take the next step up the stairs. So that's where the joy comes from. And it really works. I mean, it really is. I'm, I'm not just preaching some smiley face thing where secretly you have this... Uh, bad feeling inside. Everybody all the time, all, all kinds of times for all kinds of reasons has bad feelings inside. I'm depressed. I'm in pain. I'm doubtful. I'm, I'm worried. I'm, you know, all this stuff. I'm, I'm afraid all these things happen, will happen to you. The joy is when you say, but what does God want me to make of this? And how, what am I supposed to do with this in this moment? He doesn't expect you you know, God says he wants the tears you cry in private. He doesn't expect you not to be sad. He doesn't expect you not to be fearful. He expects you to turn your heart toward him and say, and take these things to him and say, okay, what do, what do I do with this? Where would I go? And I've, I've sometimes compared it, um, to use another metaphor, I've sometimes compared it uh, to the difference between being lost at sea in a dark storm and being in a storm at sea, but saying, oh, there's the North Star. That's where I'm heading. And, and that's a, a real different way to live life. It really is. I'm saying I'm going there. And I know this, you know, from my own periods of grieving where I thought, okay, I'm grieving, but I'm trying to get across this desert of grief to get to that spot over there where I'll be a deeper, richer, more uh, kind, more compassionate person. And that gives me a purpose in my grief. And I, it actually does make the grief more vital and more alive. So that's my the difference between joy and happiness for me. Uh, James, one more. James, I have a 15-year-old relative that is in transition. Uh, she had a difficult childhood, but seemed to be handling it well. She abruptly announced she was, she broke up with her boyfriend, declared she's a lesbian. Within months, she went from lesbian to non-binary to transgender. Her parents forbade my immediate family from talking to her unless we promised to affirm her transition, called us bigoted because we're Christians. Recently, she, the 15-year-old, secretly started contacting us, asking us if we were ready to apologize for not affirming her gender identity and offering us the opportunity to repent. 
Uh, she says she misses us and wants to restore our relationship, but she refuses to acknowledge that we could disagree with her diagnosis without being mo monsters. It uh, goes on and on. He says, I need Clavin's help with what comes next. How can we help her understand that she is loved and is worth so much more than her sexuality without giving in to this cultist fad? I realize that we may lose her to this, but I prefer to be honest with her than lie and pretend like she isn't in danger. Uh, all right. You know, if they're actually thinking of giving her hormones or anything like this, uh, it's an act of child abuse. It's an, a horrific act of child abuse. There's just no question about it. The question is, is there anything you can do? And the answer is no. Uh, this is a moment of madness in our society uh, where authorities, doctors, uh, people who should know better have been convinced that there is some validity to destroying the future of a child because a child and a 15-year-old is still a child says, oh, I feel like this or I feel like that. It is absolute madness. I am not against an adult making this decision. I mean, it's, it's on them. It's, it, you know, uh, it's not for me to judge. But for to do it to a child is an act of child abuse and it's horrific. Now, you can't do anything about it. That's just the truth. You, you do not have the power. Her, her parents are the people in charge. You do not, not have the power. She needs to know you love her. That's the first thing. She needs to know you accept her in any form that she's going to come in, and you will always be there for her. And you are perfectly within your rights to say, we can't agree with you. We can't confirm, affirm what you're saying because we don't believe it, but we do love you and you can come to us and talk to us anytime you want. And that's really as much as you can do. With the parents you can say the same thing. I think you said you mentioned that you read Abigail uh, Schreier's book. We had Abigail on the show. V very not a you know evangelical Christian, a, just a, a person writing journalism. Uh, you know, one thing you can do with her parents is you can write to them or however you communicate with them and say, "Listen, we love you and we love your daughter. We don't agree with you, and we're just gonna you're just gonna have to live with the fact that we don't agree with you, but we love you." And here also. We're just going to give you this book. It's not by an evangelical Christian. You don't have to read it. But if you want to read it, it's something we think you'd be interested in because it's just a work of journalism. That's as far as you can go. I, w I wish you could do more because I do think it's butchery. I think it's a, an absolute horrific nightmare to do this to a child. Uh, there's no doubt about this in my mind. It is madness. that has It's induced madness that the left has uh, perpetrated on us through their press. Uh, and it's terrible. But you have to know when you're helpless and you have to know what you can do. And the best thing for this child is to know that you love her. And though you don't agree, you are always there for her if she will come and talk to you and about anything she wants. And if she can set the subject, you're not going to preach to her. You're not going to yell at her. You're not going to explain to her. You're just going to love her and you will listen to her, whatever she has to say. And that, with the parents, the same thing. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're, you will be in touch anytime they want to be in touch. Tell them you can't agree with them. And here, and if you want, say, here's a book. And if you want to read it, read it. That's all you can do. I wish you could do more. I really do. And I understand your pain. But Life is about pain, so uh, so you got to play that way. I got to stop there. Back again tomorrow for the last show before my vacation. You want to suck up all the Clavenly goodness you can in the dim hope that you will survive a Clavenless week. But you got to have what you, you got to do what you can do. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. 
audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.